Hello, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Herdena Asman, here with my friend in Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daft today, Masachet Yuma, Daf Samich Gimel, page 63. So when I first read this daft, it kind of made my head spin. Um, and I was having sort of difficulty figuring out sort of organizationally what was happening happening here. And then I realized that the Gemara does something rather interesting, which is in sort of really, instead of really delving into our Mishnah, it's going to quote a Brisa to support a Brisa that was quoted on Samach Bet with a particular halacha, and then spend a good amount of time, you know, basically most of Amud Bet, uh, sort of figuring out how to understand this Brisa and some of the issues that come up with the Brisa. So I'm going to share the Brisa. So the halacha, the first Brisa that they quote, which is on Samach Bet, stated the following halacha. Amar Mar, Mishahir Gil Alehem. Okay, so the master says, right, that it, what they're basically talking about, if the coin guttle slaughters the um, goats outside of the temple after the Kohen Gadol, you know, did the lot, Chayav al Shelshin, right? He's liable, right? In other words, he's Chayav because he did a korban outside of the area where, well, he shechted a korban outside of the area where you're allowed to slaughter them. Upator al Shel Azazel. But the one that's going for Azazel, the scapegoat, he is Pator. He's not Chayav uh, for doing a slaughter. Um, of a korban outside of the prescribed area. And so now the Gemara is going to give us a very lengthy brisa that gives us the detail of how do we know this. Tanu Rabbanan, right? The rabbis taught in a brisa. And now they're going to quote two psukim here from Vayikra chapter 17, verses three and four. Interestingly, it's the chapter that is after the Avoda, which is chapter 16. So the Sukim basically say that if a man from the house of Israel slaughters an ox, a sheep, or a goat in the camp, or slaughters it outside of the camp and to the entrance of the tent of the meeting, meaning the temple, he didn't bring it as an bring it to offer as an offering to Hashem. And so essentially what these Pesukim discuss is the Lotase, the prohibition about slaughtering a sacrifice outside of the temple, whether it would be the Machana in the camp, which we basically say is outside of the courtyard, right? But within the temple mount area, or even outside of the temple mount area, right? And then it goes on to say, e korban, right? Perhaps we learn from this word of korban, I learned that you're even uh, sort of chayav, you know, for this idea of sacrificing outside of the temple, right? Even properties that were consecrated for temple upkeep. In other words, let's say I designated an animal, the value of an animal, right? An animal, I said, I'm going to sell it and then take the money and give it for better kabayat. And then I decided to slaughter that animal, Right. And so it says, shenikra'u korban, right? It has to be something that's called an actual korban. Ki'inyan shana'amar, right? As it says, and now they're going to quote uh, Pasuk in uh, Bamidbar, chapter 31, verse 50. Vanikrav et korban Hashem. We have brought an offering to Hashem, right? So the it's this is basically like a very, very large, uh, large brisa. Um, and apparently there's even longer braces, so they're not even giving the full brace here. This is what I read in one of the Gemaras that I was uh, using here. Um, but essentially the Gemara here is doing the longer braces, talks about Homeher, which is you're liable not only for slaughtering 
consecrated animals outside of the temple, but also for slaughtering unconsecrated animals. Um, and so this brisa, right, the brisa, right, there could be this kalva homer, right? So this brisa, you know, uses this verse of saying the word korban to say you're only liable for basically slaughtering consecrated uh, sacrifices. That's basically what they're learning here, right? And then it goes, kinyan shenemar, right? Is it, uh, sorry, right? So to counter this, it says the El Petach Oamoid Lo Hebiu, right? That the idea is, is that it has to be something, right? What we're talking about are things that specifically you slaughtered outside of the temple that were going to be fit or were going to be allowed to be brought as a korban, right? They would have been brought. Right? But anything that you are not liable for, right? Sorry, the, anything that you wouldn't have brought to the temple, right? Again, they're calling it the Ohamoe, the tent of the meeting, that you would not be chayav for. So in other words, animals that are consecrated for temple up, upkeep could theoretically be used as a sacrifice, right? If they weren't blemished or anything like that, but they weren't destined to be used for that. That's not how they were going to be used. So that's how you're not chayav for it. So it's re- really a ba- rather long way of explaining that we're really only talking about things that were meant to be korbanot. Then the Brisa goes on to say, Otsi elu, right? I know to exclude these basically, she'ein ruyin lepetach o'moed, right? Which aren't fit to be brought as a korban. But I don't know, how do I know to exclude the chatat cow, right? The chatat par or the he goat. right? which is basically, it is fit to come to the Ohel Moe, right? So this is a very interesting thing here, right? In other words, if we said before that both of those goats, basically, right, they need to look the same. And so you have both of these goats, each one could theoretically be eligible to be the Korban, right? When you take these two Shnei Seirin. So it's just by lottery that one ends up being the Korban and one ends up not being the Korban. So the idea is, how do we know to exclude that if you did shech the se'ar mishtaleach, right, as that other braces told us, your pator from the sisur of actually shechting something outside of um, of the temple. Because the idea is, is that it could have just as easily also been uh, the Corbin one. It is actually, it is actually fit, right? And so therefore, what does it go on to say? Um, right, tamud lamar la Hashem. It needs to be specifically to Hashem. It's only those animals that were designated. So in other words, it's not just that it was fit to be a korban, but the Azazel was not ever designated la Hashem. Now, what is this chatas par that it's talking about? Right, Rashi, there's a lot of discussion with Mepharshim about what it is. Rashi says that it, it may be the paraduma. Rashi actually says that those words actually shouldn't be in here because the paraduma is not actually brought to the temple as part of any ceremony. I'm not going to spend time on that, but I just want to point out that there is a difficulty within the text of the Brisa about what the Chatat Par is that it's talking about. Um, but I'm going to bring it back more to this issue with the uh, with with Yom Kippur. So what's interesting specifically about the Seyar Mishtalech is, is that initially, yes, that goat is totally fit to be a Korban, but it wasn't designated yet. It becomes designated through the lottery, right? And so therefore we'd say, Yatsu Elu Yuchadim Lashem. So we're excluding those things that were not designated. So the Azazel was never designated. It only becomes designated through the actual 
um, lottery itself. So, you know, I think this is a very interesting uh, Brysa because it's bringing up like a very sort of uh, like an interesting point about this, right? That we know this halacha that you're not allowed to, you know, shek things. You can't do the slaughtering outside of the temple and you're chayev for it, but it's giving us some insight as to something about the lottery, right? That the designation of which one is going to be the chatas and which one is going to be the azazel that really happens through the lottery. And until that lottery happens, it really is by chance. And so even though that Azazel, sorry, you know, could have been the La Hashem, it never was designated as such. And therefore, it's not going to be included in this prohibition of shechting something outside of the temple. You know, now this makes makes a little bit more sense reflecting on, you know, the, the original piece of the Mishnah where it wants everything to be equal, even though then it qualifies and says, but if it isn't equal, we're still going to count it. You know, they're really trying to set up that this truly is a lottery. And I'm uncomfortable with this because it sort of is saying to me something about like life really being chance. Like, is it just like one person's lottery is good and one person's lottery is bad? Again, I may be making this much more philosophical because as we keep saying, there's a lack of philosophy about the avoda of Yom Kippur. But this idea of like, it's not even being designated as something till that lottery happens was very interesting to me. Um, I, I find it interesting that you want to put the philosophy in, right? Like we, we come to this and the details are there laid out for us. Okay. That's the halacha. Let's move on. And it's, it's not satisfying enough, right? Like we, we keep asking though. So what, what is it really doing? What's the underlying issues here? And I, I, I'm, I can't knock your hypotheses, meaning that's not my point. I'm just, I'm observing that the, that there's an impulse to do it, right? To find it. I think that's the modern it. impulse. Cause again, that's how we experience Yom Kippur. Um, right. But, right. but it's not the impulse of the Gemara. This is all technical. Well, here's what the impulse of the Gemara is. The Gemara wants to know, and this should not surprise anybody, whose opinion is this Brita, this long, detailed, careful Brita, according to? And we have a who's who here because we have somebody who's new, new to me, certainly, in terms of like who he is. And because we don't know, he's just, he's just been unknown. I don't think we've encountered the name Hanan Hamitri, Hanan the Egyptian, thus far. So just a word on who he is. First of all, the tricky part is that from what I've seen, there are two of members of Chazal who had this name. So one of them, the first one was an important judge in Yerushalayim during the time of Bayat Shani. And the second one was like a, uh, an important student in Yavna after the destruction of the temple. So that's like, that's why we know that they're different people, first of all, because the time periods are so dramatically different. But also it's interesting to me that there's two people who went known as Hanan Hamitri, both of them. And this is an, an interesting point, I think. Both of them were known to be Torah scholars, but also they did not, neither of them had smicha, neither of them had the title Rebbe, either because they were young or because they didn't go through that process. I'm not sure why the judge wouldn't have had it, but it seems that nobody ever calls him Rav Hanan Hamitri. It's just Hanan Hamitri. So the the opinion in this Braita is according to the position of Hanan Hamitri. Um, he, uh, Ditanya, where it's what does it say? He said, Afilu dam bakos is even if the goat that was a korban has been shechted and the blood has been collected, and then 
the the Sir Lazazel dies, he has to bring another goat in place of the Sir Lazazel that died and match it up with the goat that had been slaughtered, meaning as the Khatat. Meaning he's not saying go find two new goats in your storeroom or in your store on Yom Kippur. Right? He's not, he he specifically is replacing only the Sir Lazazel. And the implications that it's done immediately, meaning they take them right back, take the new one right back out to Azazel, because uh, you don't want to lose any time. There's a, these are supposed to happen simultaneously, right? The idea that somebody, you know, Aishit, somebody, the, the Torah specifies somebody who is who accompanies the goat to the cliff, but it's not the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol is very busy with the other goat doing the, the Korban Chatat. And then the Gemara, of course, is going to challenge this. It's one thing to say that Hanan HaMitzri did not think that you reject the Chatat if the Azazel goat dies. Right? That's one thing. All right, so you, you can still keep that goat. But to say that there's no Hagrala, that the second goat, you just go choose one? How could that be? So the Gemara suggests here, Dilma maite umagriel. Maybe he meant that you bring two new goats, you draw lots, and whichever ones end up being sent to Azazel goes out to be the Azazel goat. I don't know. The Gemara does not say what's supposed to happen to the other one that theoretically would have gone to be a chatat, but there's no need to have him as a chatat because there's already a chatat in process, right? The the need for ahagrala, the need for the the drawing of lots, only makes sense if you're selecting between two two goats, right? You don't choose lots to, to I, it's a good question. Meaning, I don't understand, I actually don't understand the premise of Hanan Mitzri, and I don't understand the Gemara's challenge, right? Because if he says you don't need a second goat to be the Chatat, then why would you need a Hagrela? Why would you need drawing of lots to choose the goat to Azazel? Because there's no option for that goat to go to the Chatat. It's only going to go to the Azazel, right? And then, so I'm, I'm, I would like to say that I'm. I think it's me who's missing it because the. But the Gemara is terse. It does not elaborate on this beyond what I've read. Well, well, it sort of rejects it. I think ultimately, like it doesn't. But but the fact that it quotes it means it did think. I think it's trying to toy with the idea of like there is this interesting opinion here that you wouldn't need a lottery at all, which is very interesting to think about. Right. Right. Oh, yes. And also to answer your point of, you know, rejecting Hanan Mitri, the Gemara goes on, Ravina, later on the Daf, says, oh, but we can line up this Brita with lots of different opinions, which I think is also an interesting take and perhaps a little beyond the scope of today's episode. Yeah, I again, I to me, what I got out of this Daf, you know, again, reviewing it a few times is just sort of how they spend so much time really trying to understand this Brisa and then sort of landing on two important pieces about the goats, right? One is what happens if you sort of dedicate it prematurely, meaning that under, you know, eight days of age and, and, and what does that mean? Is it possible um, to do something um, like that? And then also what happens if it has a blemish? Um, and I think part of the, what also even this Brisa and the subsequent discussion is dealing with is that the Azazel is sort of its own category, right? It's something that's dedicated to Hashem. It's used in an avoda, but it's not a korban. And so therefore, what are going to be the rules and parameters around it? Right. It's a it's an interesting question. It's re- it is unique. The Sir Azazel is unique. 
Right. And so I think that's what they're trying. So it's, it's interesting to see. They don't bring parallels from other Corbanot. You know, like often remember when we when we started learning, there were all these things of like, oh, we'll look at Paraduma and that will tell something about the par for the the Chatas the par that the coin God will bring. There's no parallel to it. So the only way to know anything about it is real Midrash Halacha, just on specific Psukim. And notice even this isn't even Psukim from the Abodah. It's an understanding of the word La Hashem, right, from a subsequent parak. And I, I think that's maybe what the Gemara is teasing out. They're not quite sure what to do with this Sayar Hamishtalech. What is the status of the scapegoat? Do some of our other rules that we have for Korbanot, do they apply to this? And it seems like maybe it doesn't. I want to just add one more comment here on the Sir Mishtalech, right? Sir Lazazel, Sir Mishtalech, it's the same thing. The goat that is sent out, the goat that is sent out to the wilderness. What happens to this goat is that it's pushed over a cliff, right? Maybe there's one opinion that says it's left to wander, right? But the idea is that this goat is, you know, it's a sacrifice in a different kind of way, right? The life of this goat is forfeit. So it's interesting to me that when the goat dies, that doesn't count. We need a different goat to send out so that it can die. Um, okay, I have to think about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to make trouble. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that like the, I suppose it matters, it would matter where in the process, but like, let's say you're on the way up the cliff and the goat trips over before, I, I don't know. I don't know at what point does the goat die and it's considered it, its job of, of being the Sierra Mishtalech. And at what point is it too premature to the Sierra Mishtalech? So we need another goat that will come and fulfill its role of dying right well that's bound that's a boundary pushing pushing question but 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 a totally fair question and i again i'm not sure what the answer to that i'm not sure what the answer to that is but i think we'll see because we're going to get into much more detail more, with another mission yes. about what the process actually is well that's our DAP discussion for the day rank us reviews on all major podcasts thank you to Reverend michelle farber for hosting us on the hydrogen website let us know what you thought about this stuff it's lack of philosophy about the meaning of uh, <laughs> ritual on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.